Joining me on the show today is comedian Justin Hamilton. We talk about his career and his new show, Snacks, before chatting about the Oscars and some of our favourite or least favourite movies. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Benjamin Mayer McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and as I said, joining me on the show today is comedian and good friend of mine, Justin Hamilton. We talk about his career, his show that's currently playing at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, Snacks, and a ton of uh, Oscar talk and uh, some talk about favourite and least favourite movies and the, uh, the age-old debate about Interstellar. You know what side I'm on. So now here is my chat with Justin Hamilton. Now I do apologise for the audio quality of this interview. Um, there is some background noise which sadly I wasn't able to eliminate uh, purely because we recorded literally behind uh, the Rhino Room, one of Adelaide's great comedy venues, and uh, it is pretty much a back street behind there. So it is a little bit noisy, but otherwise enjoy. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining me today. Oh, here we are, like, uh, you know, backstage of the Rhino Room. Yeah. Like, when we say backstage, like, we mean, like, on the outside of the Rhino Room, between the Rhino Room and the car park, but it feels like about the only place that will get any privacy. Absolutely. Very classy place here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the studio on legs. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of dreams that have flourished and died back here, I think. <laughs> Too true. Now, Justin, you're a comedian, and yep. you're currently performing in the Adelaide Fringe. Yeah. How would you describe your style of humour? Uh, it's definitely storytelling based, so it's usually, uh, uh, in, in the past, uh, the shows that I've done have been quite uh, heavy in the narrative, uh, but this year, basically I wanted, to, last year's show, which was uh, Johnny Loves Mary Forever, 1994, uh, talked about my trip to Afghanistan, and there was, um, there was a moment in Afghanistan, which feels a little bit whatever now, but when I was over there, there was a, like a five second window where the car that I was in, in in Kabul, everyone in the car thought for a moment that a woman was going to blow us up. And it was it was only like four or five seconds, and then it turned out that isn't what happened. But that that fear that you had for that moment uh, was uh, quite palpable, and so that was uh, kind of like the turning point in the story last year. And I did about seventy five performances of that show, and I really loved that show, and I enjoyed it a lot, but. Man, by the end of the Edinburgh Fringe, I was exhausted getting to that point uh, in the show over and over and over again. So this year, what I wanted to do was uh, more traditional in the sense of uh, stand-up. So it's still it's still storytelling, Absolutely. but it's more thematically linked. I, I think it's uh, it's very nostalgic. Uh, it's looking to the past to kind of find a way ahead in the future, and it's just kind of dealing with the frustrations of modern life. It is, and it's a very, very good show. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's fun as well. You, you know what was interesting, uh, which I think you'll appreciate from uh, a writer's point of view, is that when you write a, th a show that is so narrative heavy, you can take it apart and do the bits and pieces in clubs uh, and get those routines into a state where they're quite robust. But until you do the opening night, you're yeah. not really doing the show. But with this, because it's traditional uh, in its approach, I have done 90% of that show. 
before uh, all over Australia. Like I just did uh, headlines at the Sydney Comedy Store where I was for two weeks just changing the material and running through every aspect of the show. So by the time I came to do the show, it was like this is ready to go. So it's actually been a lot of fun. I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's less work, but the work that went into it was more like October, November, December, and January, February was polishing and so so it's been uh, it's been quite a lot of fun well you say you started work in september mm. uh, fringe registration closes i think a bit earlier than that yeah so you have to name your show is it do you come up with a title and then oh. develop the show yeah I, I haven't told you this so i was in edinburgh and you know how crazy edinburgh is it's like seven thousand shows and you know and it's uh, it was good and it was a lot of fun but by that last week you're running on empty and you know I'm 42 so I'm running on even less and so what happened was I was sitting down with Claire Hammond who is uh, she works for Token uh, Events which is uh, an offshoot of my management and Claire and I have been friends for a long time and she said hey we, uh, have you thought about Adelaide registration and I said no she said well we have to think about it I said but I haven't finished this festival she said, I know, I feel so bad about this. Can you, do you even have a name? And I just kind of looked off into the distance for a moment and then looked at her and went, Snacks. And that was the show title. And for about a month, so that was middle of August. And so for a month, I just had this show title hanging over me. And it was basically, the reason I said Snacks was because I like, um, uh, when my friends come over I just had this stupid thing where I had a snack song which I just used to sing to my friends as a joke and that was what was prevalent in my head and so I had this title hanging over me for ages and then I was writing the show etc etc and ironically the snack song was about the last thing added to the show I thought I should do the song yeah so um so yeah but it's funny isn't it because especially if you're developing stuff and touring and performing and then you then you get to a point where it's like, I have to get ready for yeah, this all one. again. So uh, it actually worked out to be quite fortuitous. So the, the thing you have to be careful about is, you know, for anyone listening who's thinking about putting on a fringe show, unless you have a specific idea that you really have a burning desire to tell that story or perform that show, don't lock yourself in until you know. Because there's nothing worse than thinking in August, hey, I want to be talking about fluffy shoes. And by December, you think, I've got nothing to say about fluffy shoes, but I've, I've written it down. I've called the show Fluffy Shoes, you know. So uh, you, you have to be careful about what you may or may not be interested in in six months' time. Absolutely. So who would you say is your inspiration to do stand-up comedy or comedy in general? Oh, uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, I guess... Well, the first, the first stand-up that I ever came across was Robin Williams live at the Met uh, on vinyl. I hadn't actually really heard of, I kind of knew what stand-up was, but I hadn't really been exposed to it. I like comedy, but up until that point it was comedy and TV shows like the Kenny Everett show and the goodies and the young ones. The young ones was... Uh, a big eye opener as a kid. Also, shows Australian shows like uh, the Degeneration and uh, the Late Show and the Big Gig. Fast forward, they were comedy company was funny as a kid. But uh, stand up was, uh, was something kind of mystical. And then uh, so we got the Robin Williams on vinyl, and it was so funny because you know 
in the middle of a routine, you had to change sides to hear the rest of the <laughs> to hear the rest of the routine. But I used to listen to that over and over and over again, and I was uh, I was pretty mesmerised by say, that. Ironically, I have that on cassette. Oh, do you? I right. have that on cassette. You probably you probably. I've had to change sides as well. Yeah. Probably tapers out at the same bit, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's fascinating. So I, I guess that was the the first bit of inspiration. And uh, now, I, I I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anyone in particular that I watch that I'm inspired by. But I guess I guess I get the most inspiration from the people I perform with. So people like you know touring with Will Anderson is inspiring because he's on top of his game and he's you know arguably the best in the country at the moment so you want to compete with that uh compete in the in the artistic sense not in you know being better or whatever but you know seeing where the bar has been raised and then you know people like tom gleason uh uh sam simmons you know uh you know celia Picola, those guys and then there's uh, newer comics that inspire you as well. Uh, Luke McGregor, Ronnie Chang, you know, those kids coming through who are really starting to make a name for themselves, they're quite inspiring as well because they find different ways into the jokes that you haven't thought about before. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'd never thought of tackling it that way. So I, I, I guess it's my immediate surroundings that are the most inspiration these days. Wonderful. Now, obviously, you do a lot of touring. And mm. You live a lot on the road. Yeah. I mean, we're here in Adelaide at the moment, which is your hometown. But mm. I believe you've done Perth. You've got Melbourne coming up. Yeah. Last year, you did Edinburgh. Yeah. How do you, I suppose, sustain a real life when all that is going on around you? Oh, that is a really good question. Uh, and I reckon there would be some people who know me who would say that I don't. <laughs> like, it yeah, really... No, yeah, um, it's hard. It actually is... It's actually really hard. Uh, and it's hard to get that balance right. And, you know, funnily enough, I end up... There was a, a period there where I was just hanging out with guys and girls in their 20s. And it's like... I was thinking, that's a bit weird. But what happens is... Pretty much all of my peers are headliners, so everyone's off headlining. So then you end up hanging with, you know, younger people because they're the ones emceeing or supporting or whatever. So even getting people of your own age can be quite difficult. Then tackle into the fact, uh, you know, people with normal jobs and with kids are, you know, like when I'm free is when they're at work or uh, when they're free I'm going off to a gig so it can be really really hard it's interesting that you bring that up as well uh, at the start of this year one of my one of my main aims was to kind of get that equilibrium back uh, I came back to Adelaide last year at the end of last year I was only here for a few days but I only saw family and friends that have nothing to do with comedy just to or entertainment at all and just to get that balance back but it's it's hard and but it's really important to maintain as well because you don't want to become one of those boring people that can only talk shop but invariably it's hard also it's hard because uh, you know you don't like I like talking about my job but I don't want to talk about it all the time but it is the kind of job that 
you know, people want to know, oh, what's Limo like? Or what's Michelle Laurie like? Or what's Judith Lucy like? And, and, and they're very fair enough questions. So you can end up talking about your business yeah, even when you're... Conversation forever. Right. So, yeah. So it's... Um, but it's, yeah, it is... It's really hard. Absolutely. Now, another thing about you is you have a blog that you... Mm. You're very, very honest in it. And if you have a bad gig, you will say you've had a bad gig. Mm. I mean, is, do you find that a little bit, I suppose, confronting to write? Uh... Yeah, you know what, I I don't know, it's one of those things where there is a part of me that wonders if that is a good thing. I just try to be honest about it because I think it's, I think it's more interesting as well. Uh, funnily enough, I've realised since I've been writing the blog, I think I've only, like, there's been an ongoing joke on Tofop, but I've never had a bad gig. But um, I would say in, since I've been writing the blog, which has been the last three years, uh, knock on wood or a bit of brick, because that's the closest I could find, um, a bit of paper, uh, I've only really had one bad gig, and that was and that was my own fault. And that was a late show in Edinburgh, and I went, I went chasing the story. When the heckling started, I got really excited, and I was like, "Oh, here we go! Oh, I've heard about the hecklers here. This is going to be fantastic." Oh, because you know, Anthony Morgan has this great story about breaking a glass over his head to get yeah. their attention, and Fleety's got a great story about some guy in the audience saying, "I've got a crossbow. You know, I'm going to shoot okay, you with okay. an arrow." And I was like, "Oh, yes! Here's my story." And it was, and it was really tedious. Mm. And it was really bad, and uh, I gave them too much air. And what I should have done is just what I would do normally, which is destroy them. But instead, I was a bit, I was on stage going, is, whoa, is this, but this is meant to be awesome. And that was not a good gig. That was my fault. I fucked that up because I was trying to get that, I was trying to get that interesting story, which is a good lesson. Never, never chase a story. Let it, let it come to you. But, but you know, uh, in, in the writing of the blog, I would say I don't, I think it's, made the experience of performing find an equilibrium because because you because I never quite realised until I started writing the blog how much you move on after a show yeah. like you'll do the gig after the gig you'll, you'll talk about it might talk about it with friends and unless it's remarkable in some way you might you, you probably don't remember it and you probably don't talk about it the next day and you've moved on but having to hold on to it for long enough to be able to write about them, it's been interesting. I suddenly realised that gigs that I once upon a time would have said, oh, that was terrible, were actually fine. Because you kind of, because I'm in the moment to more. To dwell about them. Yeah. And gigs that are great, you kind of, you really enjoy them. But you go, oh, well, that'd be easy to write about in, in the blog. And because you're finding, you know, there's different different ways into things it was really good for there was a routine in this year's show uh, about binge drinking that I reckon for two months I just couldn't quite the rest of the routine was really strong I just couldn't quite stick the landing I reckon I worked on that for about two months and I reckon if I wasn't doing the blog I would have been down on myself because I'd be keep finishing and go well that didn't finish where I wanted it but because I was doing the blog and I knew what I was trying to do and I was trying to talk about what I was trying to achieve, it took the edge off it. And you go, oh, yeah, well, that's kind of what the experience was. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how it's uh, just... Uh, 
I just even things out. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned hecklers a little mm. bit earlier. Mm. As a stand-up comic, what's one of the strangest experiences you've had with a heckler? I'll give you the strangest. There was, back in 2000, uh, there was a gig at PJ O'Brien's. This was before Lima and I started running it. We relaunched it in May. The guy that was running it before kind of ran it into the ground. But anyway, this show was meant to start... Say it was, I think it was meant to start at 8 and start at 9.15. So already it's, you know, and I'm hosting. So I'm wrapped as well. And it's packed. There's a few hundred in there. Uh, anyway, the gig was actually going quite well. And then I brought on a comedian that I quite like called Harmon Leon from uh, San Francisco. And he was, kind of, he was kind of struggling a bit numbers-wise, but there's a few hundred there, so if he does a good job, you know, yeah. if you get if you get 10% of that audience coming, that's 30 people. 30 people at 20 bucks, you know, suddenly that's 600 bucks, suddenly that's your, you know, that's your room hire, uh, part of your room hire paid for, or whatever, or your flyers or something. Anyway, and this girl just heckled him. And just not, not even good heckling, but, you know, just annoying and yeah. just derailed what Harmon was doing. I was so angry. I went up on stage, I couldn't see it too well because the lights were really bright and anyway, I told her she piped up again, I would do my best to destroy her and she she kinda gave me the come on with the hands, you know, like you know when you see the hands up, yeah. bring it on. And I did and her friends dragged her out and she was just horrific. Anyway, um that was kind of like in end of February, beginning of March. Uh, then I went and did the Melbourne Comedy Festival and then I came back and Lima and I kick-started uh, uh, PJs in May. I reckon it was around July. I, I was actually, I just started dating a girl, this really, uh, really sweet um, girl from Switzerland. Very pretty, uh, just, just a nice girl. Anyway, we'd been dating for about six weeks a proper sense of the term dating as well, you know, kind of working out where this is going to go. And then one night I'm hanging out with her, her and her friends and her, she went to the bathroom and her friend said, uh, how's everything going? I said, oh yeah, I think, you know, maybe this will turn into something. And she said, yeah, how funny is it that she heckled you that night and you ripped into her and destroyed her and now you're dating? And I said, what? She said, yeah, remember that night at PJ O'Brien's when, when she was really drunk in the audience and she ruined that American guy's set and 